Good morning. I think one person answered. I think Jordan was like, okay, I'm here. The rest of you are not, I guess. Uh, good morning. Yeah, that's, that's better, I think. I don't know. Um, so grab your Bibles and uh, flip to 1 John. It's a little book in the New Testament towards the end. So if you get to Revelation, uh, the book of Revelation, that you got too far. Um, 1 John. So we're finishing today um, our series called He Came. It's just two simple words, right? Uh, he came, but, it, but in them it contains the whole meaning of Christmas. Christmas is about the fact that Jesus came. And then the reason we wanted to spend the last few Sundays or the whole season. The reason we wanted to spend and talk about, about Jesus and his coming is because this season is, mar- is marked by so much, so much and so, so many things, uh, a lot of good things, a lot of good things, and, and all these good things are pulling our affections in, in, in a different kind of directions, right? Like they're, they're pulling on us. Um, and and as, I was, as I was thinking about the season, and I was thinking about how a lot of good things are pulling us in different directions. I was, I was thinking about uh, how when you walk into Starbucks, you walk into Starbucks and you smell coffee, and you're like, this is great. I came to get coffee, so that, that's great. And then there's a hint of banana bread that you smell. And you're like, oh, okay, that's great. I want banana bread now. Coffee and banana bread sounds great. So as you look at the banana bread, from the corner of your eye, you see a pop whatever they're called, yellow and green, and they're just full of color, and you just kind of see them from the corner of your eye, and you're like, crap, I want that too. And so you, you, get, you get several things. So you get banana bread, you get, you get this popsicle thing, um, and, and, so, and then you sit at the table, and you came to get coffee, but now you have banana bread, a popsicle, and maybe something else because your gut had the desire to get something, right? And and that's kind of what this season feels like. We know that this season is about Jesus. We know that, but there's a lot of other good things. Like banana bread and popsicles are very good. I mean, they're tasty. And by the way, that's a personal experience. I have that happen to me. Because you're thinking like, really? Like you really got banana bread and the green popsicle? I did. Uh, confession, right? No, but like, the season does feel that way. It feels that way because you get, there's so much going on. You know it's about Jesus. You know it's about his coming, but, but there's a lot of good things pulling us in different directions. And at times, at times it feels easier to lean into the good things that Christmas offers. The, 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 good things. I almost knocked that down. Um, the, it, it feels easier than to celebrate the coming of Christ. And so because of all that, because of that is happening, as a church, I wanted us to slow down, and I wanted to, us to focus on the fact that Jesus came, and how his coming transforms so much. And so in the first week, we looked at John 1 and saw that Jesus is the word, God's clearest expression of himself to the world, and that he was with God, and Jesus was God, and this God came to dwell with us. Like, this is not just something that happened 2,000 years ago. No, God is still with us. 
And the second week of Advent, we looked at how he came, uh, this creator of the universe, the one who spoke things into existence. He came into this existence. He came and joined this world as a baby. He came humbly. And he humbled himself by becoming a human. He came not to be served, but to serve. And his humility carried him to the cross. He didn't try to defend himself with words or actions because he came for us, right? And he humbly became the sacrifice, dying on our behalf so we can live. And then last week, we looked at another reason why Jesus came. He came to redeem and adopt us into his family. He came and purchased us with his blood on the cross. He bought, he bought us and brought us into his family. We're now children of God. Like, now Jesus is our older brother. Like, as Christians, we can claim that. That's why he came. That's why he joined this earth. And all of this is possible because God, who didn't need anything, like, God didn't have to come and join this earth. He didn't need anything yet in his love decided to send his son to join this world he knew we would need salvation he knew we would need salvation so he brings that salvation as a gift and with this gift of salvation he gives us the gift of life an eternal life and ultimately an eternal fellowship with the father Right? So that's what we're going to talk about today, that the fact that he came and he gives us a gift of salvation and he gives us a gift of life and eternal fellowship with the Father. So if you're able, let's stand, let's read John 1, and then we'll study it. 1 John, start with verse 1. Let's read together. That which was from the beginning, which, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that joy may be complete. Uh, this is the word of God. You can have a seat. So this passage is rarely used during the Advent season. This passage does not have shepherds in the field. This passage does not have Mary or Joseph. Uh, this passage doesn't have angels singing. Uh, this passage talks about Jesus or hints at Jesus, but it doesn't even talk about the birth. But as we study, as we will study this passage, you will see that this, is, this passage is perfect to summarize where we have been in this series and, and conclude with the eternal life that gives us a great joy. And so 1 John starts very similar to what, how we started our whole series in John 1, in the Gospel of John, right? The Gospel of John started with, in the beginning, this John, 1 John, starts that which was from the beginning. But this time around, John includes details here that he uses, we have heard. We have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we have looked upon and have touched with our hands. John is using sensory 
language here. Sensory details. He's using language that all of us can relate, right? Like, we have seen, we touch, we understand that. Like, when he's using that language, you go, yeah, we see, touch, and hear. Like, that happens to us. And so he's saying, hey, we have seen, we have touched, we have, we have touched Jesus after he was, after the resurrection. So John is using the sensory to show that Jesus was not just some idea. He's not some idea. Jesus was not just a feel-good story that is a fable. No, Jesus' life on earth is a true story that really happened. And, and, in, and in fact, that he goes so far, it's not that he's just saying, hey, hey, uh, audience that I'm writing to, I have seen and touched him. No, he says we. He's using plurality language here. We have heard. And, and, and the plurality here is that John is saying that we have seen, that there's many of us. We Go and ask others. Don't, if you don't trust me, go talk to others. There are others who are able to testify to the event that happened at a certain time in history. In fact, New Testament scholar Robert Yarbrough says he's not, he's talking about John, he's not making conversation, but virtually swearing a disposition. John is writing this and using court language. Uh, he's using something that would stand up in the, in the court and saying, oh, okay, like, there's many of you who have seen and touched Jesus. We have heard, we have seen with our eyes, and we have touched with our hands. So Jesus is not just some feel-good story that gives us good example to follow. No, there were eyewitnesses. Many have seen him. Jesus really lived. Jesus really died, and he really rose from the dead. But why does that matter? Why does that matter? Why can't this be just some inspiring fairy tale? Well, it matters because of who Jesus is and what his life offers. John, and 1 John here says, Verse 2, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the, the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. So, who is Jesus? Here, John goes back to the similar language of the, what the, of the gospel of John, right? And he connects the word with Jesus. John 1, 1 says, the word was with God and the word was God. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God in the flesh. And we talked about why that matters pre in previous weeks. But listen, he is God who made everything. And this God joined this world. And, and here John calls Jesus the word of life. And that Jesus is the eternal life in the following verse, right? And this eternal life was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So let me connect the dots here. Jesus is the word. He is God. He created everything. And the reason because Jesus allowed that. And this Jesus is life. And in fact, Jesus is eternal life. John is not saying that Jesus has eternal life, and, or even that he gives life or eternal life. No, this verse says that Jesus is eternal life. Jesus is salvation itself. He is the gift of salvation. Without Jesus, salvation would not exist. That's why it matters that, that there are eyewitnesses because, because Jesus, who is God, really did come to earth. They really did see him. They really did talk to him. They really saw him die on the cross. He came down as a gift of salvation for us. 
Let that sink in. So the first two verses of this book are proclaiming, screaming that Jesus really happened. That Jesus really happened. Christmas is real, and it happened. Now, John goes on to describe the goal of the proclamation. He goes on to describe the goal of the proclamation. He says in verse 3, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with, with us fellowship is with the father and his son jesus so we saw and heard and touched jesus and this jesus we proclaim to you why so that you have fellowship with god john is saying look we, we have seen jesus who is god we have talked to him we have walked with him we touched his body after resurrection what else do you need before you believe in jesus what else do you need before you believe in Jesus? Like, we're giving you all these evidence. But it's not just believe, right? It's not just believe. It's believe and be in fellowship with God. And the word fellowship here is the word koinonia in Greek. And it means just this deep, intimate, personal experience of sharing something in common with others. And it has pleasure written all over this word. And so John is writing not merely so that his listeners would believe in Jesus, who is God, but, the, but they would be in a deep, intimate relationship with this Jesus. A similar relationship to what the apostles and others had with Jesus himself when he was here on earth. So this is a simple question now to look, how? How do I have a fellowship with God of this universe that is intimate and deep or how do i get this kind of relationship if i don't have one right so those those are the two questions that we're going to answer the rest of our time is that if i don't have this kind of relationship if i don't have this deep intimate relationship how do i get it and then how do i maintain it how do i continue to have this deep intimate relationship that john is talking about well to answer this the the question of how do i get this kind of relationship well it starts with with you, realize, it starts by realizing that you have a need. So this is how salvation works, right? It's, it starts by realizing that you have a need, a need that reveals that deep down you don't have a relationship with the Father. The need might look like this. It might, might look like, uh, it, it might re- make you realize how selfish you are or even how self-righteous you are. This need might mean realizing how you take good things and make them ultimate. Or maybe this need will, will mean realizing that you lack peace in your life or maybe even joy in your life. No matter what it is, it is screaming that your heart lacks this deep intimacy or this deep intimate relationship with the Father. And to get to the core issue, we, we, we can read how Jeremiah described it in Jeremiah 17, 9. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So it starts with a need, a need in our hearts at the core of who we are, and God can understand it. God can understand your heart. He understands that need. He's the only one who can actually fix your heart. Without realizing the need, this conversation is not going to go anywhere. If you don't think you need, if you don't think you need a Savior, then then you probably won't pursue it. If you don't think you need a relationship, then why would you pursue it? 
right? Like if there's an, if you don't have a need, then you're not gonna you're not gonna run towards it at all. And so it starts with an honest look at yourself and seeing that no matter what you do, the things that you're doing are not enough, that something is missing. That's what the need is, right? In the book of Romans, we see how God responds to this need. He says in Romans 5, 8, But God showed his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So God responds to this need by loving us while we're still sinners, while we're still broken. God responds to this need by dying on the cross on our behalf. In fact, if we continue reading in this verse, it impacts last week's sermon, right? It impacts what, what Jesus, Jesus made a purchase. He brought us into the family. The blood of Jesus purchased us out of the slavery that we were in, and, and this is the beauty of the gospel. It's the beauty of the gospel. That that's the reason that Jesus came to this earth. He came, he came to give us life. And that life was given when he died on the cross for us. He purchased our freedom with his life. Uh, when he was on earth walking with his disciples in the book of Mark, he says this to his disciples, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus came to be a ransom. He bought you out of slavery. And this slavery is the slavery to the need we just talked about earlier. It's a slavery to sin, to the things that keep your eyes off of God. And he purchased you out of that in and into a family, his family. So that's just a snapshot of how salvation works, right? It's just a snapshot of looking at it. And, but there's a final aspect of it. There's a final aspect of salvation that we don't really often talk about, right? Like, we, this, this is usually what I just talked about, and that is most of us are like, yeah, I had this conversation, or I remember that conversation, right? Like, but, but, but there's a final aspect of this, and it's the final is the fact that you have this intimate relationship with the Father it's the fact that if you have this intimate relationship with the Father, then you are under His rule. That God is in charge. God is your king. He is in charge. And, and the value that you previously lived by, you no longer live by. The things that your heart used to love and, and might even still sometimes want to run towards, now you have a spirit who lives in you telling you that you no longer live by those rules. Look to your king. Follow him instead. That's what the Spirit is telling you inside of you. So you lean on his judgments. You, you lean on his wisdom. You lean on his rule. And you trust his rule. And because of Jesus, you can have a fellowship with the Father. First uh, John 2.23 says, No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father also. So fellowship with God comes only through Jesus Christ, His Son. So for you to have a deep, intimate fellowship with the Father, what we just described has to take place. As we described has to take place. And, but for a lot of us in this room, we remember a time when God took us out of the darkness into the light. 
most of us remember what it looks like to not have that fellowship with the Father and how different it looked when you did have that fellowship with the Father. And so maybe your question is, how do we continue to live in light of this deep, rich, meaningful relationship with the Father? How does, how does any relationship work? Well, it works by being with one another, right? It's by being with each other, by getting to know one another. It grows by enjoying one another. And very practically speaking, all of these things happen when you have a steady diet of the Word and sacrament. It's a steady diet of the work and, 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 and sacrament. How do you keep getting to know God and His characteristics and His love? Through the Word of God. And it's pretty basic, right? Like, as I'm saying that, you're like, yeah, I knew that. I, and I know that, I know that. But let me say a couple things about the Bible. There will be times when you open the Bible, and you're going to open the Bible and you're reading, and it just blows you away. It just blows you away. God just becomes so real, and it feels like it's life-changing. Uh, it just speaks to you exactly whatever you're going through. But there, there will be also moments when you open the Word and you read, and not much will happen. It will feel dull, boring, and not life-changing. Thanks, bud. And so, uh, so yeah, so there'll be, that'll happen both, right? Like, you will have times when you go to the Word, and it will just, like, the, the words are so alive, but there are also times where you go to the Word, and it's really dull and boring, maybe even confusing at times. You'll read a passage, and you'll be like, I have no idea what, what God is trying to tell me. And so the question is, should we continue reading when we are experiencing that dull, boring, not life-changing experience? And if yes, then how does that sort of dullness help with a deep, intimate relationship with God? The best way I heard this explained was recently while I was reading the book Liturgy, uh, Liturgy uh, to, of the Ordinary. I cannot speak. Liturgy of the Ordinary. I think I messed that up again. Okay, it's fine. I'm just going to keep going. So the author in this book compared this conversation to meals and food. And, uh, and so she asks set of questions. She says things like, what's the most amazing meal you ever tasted? And so you might, you know, as I ask that question, you might be like, oh yeah, the meal, and you have a place, a restaurant, and it probably happened a while back, right? And, and how about this? What did you eat yesterday? What did you have for lunch a week ago? Three weeks ago? Six months ago? Not even lunch. What about dinner six months ago? Do you remember? You probably don't remember. But it stained you, didn't it? You are alive partially because you ate six months ago. It's the same with reading the Bible. Will you remember some amazing times? Yes, yes, you will. But the majority of your time in the Word will be filled with meals that you will forget. But the Word of God will keep you alive. The Word of God will nourish you. It will be your daily bread for your soul. And so you keep eating, even though you might not remember six months ago. But it's enough to satisfy you. I also used the word sacrament earlier, right? I said for you to maintain this deep, rich, rich fellowship is through the Word and sacrament. Sacrament is this table, right? Like, it's the Lord's table. It's baptism. 
Um, so we, we partake at this table every week. Why? Have you thought about this? Like, why do we have communion every week? It's a meal of thanksgiving and remembrance. We are remembering and are thankful for the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. It's a meal that reminds us that we can't do it on our own. Christ poured out his life for us, and that transforms us into people who, will, who we pour our lives into others. So we eat the daily bread of the word, and we come together and partake at the table, and God is enough. And I know that what I just talked about is not something glorious or something new or fresh, but I love the simplicity of it. I love the simplicity of it. You grow in intimacy through a steady diet of the word and sacrament. You, go, you grow in your intimacy with the Father by going and, and, and eating your daily bread and then coming and partaking the daily bread or the body of Christ and remembering what he accomplished on the cross for you. And Jesus is at the heart of both of these things, right? The word points us to Jesus. This table is all about what Jesus accomplished for us. Jesus came to save. He came, and, be, and because he came, this kind of relationship with the Father is possible. But John, in our passage, doesn't just stop there. John didn't just say, hey, you, I want you to have fellowship with the Father, period, and then just moves on to a different topic. No, he ends this conversation with verse 4 and says, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And I love this line. I love this line because it means I won't have my joy complete until I know that, and then it's you, 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 whoever the yous are, right? Like until you all have a relationship with the Father. I know that my joy won't be complete until others will have this relationship with the Father. And the joy that John is talking about is not this cheesy, fluffy kind that goes away when we face negative circumstances. No, no, he's talking about the kind of joy that is rooted in Jesus and the fellowship we have with the Father through Jesus. And what does that look like on the ground? What does that look like on the ground? Again, it's very ordinary. It's very simple. It's daily obedience. It's reading and praying. It's worshiping together. It's serving one another. It's depending on Jesus when circumstances get hard. When this is our routine in our life, then faith slowly grows. You rest on the work of the cross with your whole life, and you're content in Jesus. You're, you're content in Jesus. And that is the joy that John is describing here, that John wants others to experience this joy. He has this joy of Jesus in him, and he knows that others may not have this joy, and that breaks his heart, and his, or his joy is not fully complete. He knows that this, this, this joy that he's talking about will not be complete until he sees Jesus face to face. So John, John wants others to experience this fellowship. John wants this joy to spread to others. The joy of Jesus coming to the broken world. The joy that we receive when we, have, uh, when we are in fellowship with the Father. The joy of life. The joy of eternal life. And if it doesn't break your heart, there are people who are not in relationship with, with God 
I would say, I would encourage you to start praying and asking God to change that. I would encourage you to ask God to change that, for God to align your heart with His. If you are in here and you don't have this kind of relationship with the Father, everything that we just talked about, if, if, that's, not, if that's not you, salvation is here. Jesus is here. And all you have to do is to let go of yourself and surrender your life to His rule. Confess with your mouth and let the Spirit turn your heart around. If you're here and you feel distant from God, and you feel just distant, no matter, you're like, great, as a church, we talked about His coming, but I just don't feel that close with, to Jesus. You know, I kind of just feel distant. Continue in your daily meal. Continue in your daily meal. Keep going to the Word. Let it feed you. Continue coming to this table. Let it, let it meet your, where you are. He is here with us. He cares for us. And He's nourishing us in just the right way. We might not always feel it, but His Spirit is ministering to us and sustaining us. It just giving us just the right amount of food that we need. And again, will you have an amazing meal sometimes? Of course you will. And you'll talk about it. You'll talk about it to your friends. They were like, man, I was reading the Word and it became so alive. The majority of your life, you're going to have just a steady diet. Steady diet of going and partaking and and eating this daily word and coming to the table and partaking at the table. So, let me pray for us.